0: hey guys Michael here and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of let's be blunt you know it's not that often that I repeat guests on this podcast but I'm so excited about having the guest that we have on today because literally she's like, kind of like my hero um, you know uh, she did an exceptional job for us uh, about a year ago and We've got her back, uh, really, I'd say by, you know, major requests by a lot of people who have, have viewed her and want to know more. Well, our guest today is an interventional pain management physician, board certified in physical medicine and rehabilitation. She's completed her residency and fellowship training at the University of Miami. She's also known as South Florida's medical cannabis and CBD expert and educator. Her specialty is focused on prevention, treatment, reversal of health, deterioration, increasing function and managing pain. She's a unique player in a wellness industry, taking an innovative approach to providing health and wellness services. Her unique approach of personalized medicine improves the quality of life and decreases pharmaceuticals while treating conditions such as pain, inflammation, anxiety, insomnia, and other neuro- neurodegenerative diseases. She's been featured in the Miami Herald, Pop Sugar, The High Life, and on NBC News. Dr. Michelle Wiener, Thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Brought with Mattel again. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I, I find your approach to medicine really, you know, unique in that you really try yourself to personalize medicine, focusing on the root causes of, you know, what's going on and offering individual holistic, and I mean really holistic treatment options. You know, you... You know, like to heal all aspects of a person's condition that includes mind, body, and spirit. And you know, though there are some doctors who talk that talk, a lot of them don't walk that walk. And so thank you so much for what you do.
1: Well, thank you for the introduction. And you, you said it nicely, it's it's really personalizing it in the most holistic way because I think that when we you know when people go to medical school and physicians come out they try to practice what they've learned, but they don't they forget kind of who they are and and for me i i I went into medicine really to to think that it was kind of a healing arts you know and and what happens is i now am coming back to my roots and it feels good and and it it feels nice to practice what you what you preach you know and so when it comes down to it, I personally feel like People have that innate wisdom within themselves and people are really now in this fight or flight state where we're unable to relax and there's no way that people can learn new skills and there's no way that people can problem solve in an effective way. If we're constantly in this fight or flight state, right? So a lot of what I do is trying to get rid of um, like the stigma and, 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 Preconceived uh, notions about natural healing and about plant medicine, and and really decreasing the pharmaceuticals and uh, increasing quality of life, and so people can't really do that if they don't if they don't feel empowered. And I think that a lot of it has to do with education, but also having hope. You know, having hope that there is an option for them to kind of return to who they are and understand who they are is extremely important in their healing process. So a lot of it is empowering and and giving them some some positive hope that their own innate wisdom will will be you know part of their healing process.
0: Right. <laughs> at a time you know, we 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 are living at this weird time where again, and out of one side of some people's mouths, science is the devil. Out of the other side of people's mouths, well, science should be followed. You know, out of one side of you know the politicians' mouths, you know, don't believe the science, and then out of the other side, believe the science. So. You know, I I think that when you say that people are in a fight or flight mode, uh, they are certainly in that mode, especially when it comes to just learning. I mean, one of the biggest problems that I think is facing mankind is the fact that we have this thing that you and I are talking on. You know, I mean, we're both sitting there talking on computers, which give people this false sense of knowledge. You know, just because you can ask a question and get an answer doesn't mean you understand the answer that you've gotten. And too often, so many people are just so willing to accept whatever words they see rather than dig in deep and understand and learn for themselves.
1: Well, a lot of it also is is um, is our own chemistry and connection. Right. So how, so during especially during the pandemic with you know social isolation, there's this huge disconnection. We're, we're speaking to each other now, a year later through a computer. And the problem is, how do I connect with you or how do I connect with others or how do I connect with myself? And so. I think that the um, there's a book by Julie Holland called The um, chemist, It's called mm-hmm. Chemistry of Connection, I think. Uh, and it's basically trying to understand that we have to be in a parasympathetic state in order to connect with ourselves. But if we're kind of in this, you know, rushed state all the time, we're not really able to be our best self. And so I think that a lot of times it's it's going back to nature, going back to nutrition, going back to lifestyle changes and, and going back to a simple life. And if anything, I think that's what COVID taught a lot of us is really that we were running too fast, too, you know, too fast pace. And it just wasn't really working out for a lot of us. And now we're disconnected. And sometimes we need that catalyst to kind of help us connect. People can't, Meditate or do breath work or start exercising. They need something to help them, which is fine. And as long as those, you know, coping mechanisms are are safe, then that's fine. But I think we're we're learning now how to connect with ourselves and how to connect with others, um, even during this pandemic, which is important.
0: But let me ask you a question. Doesn't it not? I want to I, I, I want to say bother you, but that's not the right word. Um, doesn't it not shock you a little bit with? the anxiety level that people seem to have that want to start running again as quickly as they can.
1: Yeah. So that mm-hmm. definitely bothers me. I, I mean, I keep trying to make everybody remember how they were living before COVID and people now are so anxious to get back to living life, but they were living in a, very it's, it's, it's a, it is a fight or flight state, but the way that they were living was just too fast paced and not healthy. The amount of people who have, anxiety depression post-traumatic stress disorder chronic pain you know what we have we have such an issue with mental health and I think that COVID actually amplified it for a lot of people but I think they're forgetting because they've been isolated for so long that they actually didn't like the way they were living before and it's a reminder not to go back to that that same pace
0: well, you know, it's really funny because I've, I've been having some discussions with some people lately who are saying, why? Well, we got to get the kids back in the classrooms. Uh, you know, this is so crazy. And I, and I stopped and say, wait a minute. If you remember before COVID, there were all these discussions about the four day school week rather than the five day school week where they were trying to see if they could shift kids into the home setting to do remote learning. We were talking about remote learning for the last six or seven years, long before COVID forced us into it. So we were at a pace where we were trying to do this, COVID or not. And it's because man has just gotten so focused on speed, gotten so focused on, you know, everything has to be moving so quickly. It's just like that The whole idea of you you nailed it when you said, you know, we need more education. And I think we're going to talk about uh, one of our bigger topics, which is, you know, cannabis. I think that that's really one of the shortfalls of this entire industry. You know, we spent so much time in a fast pace trying to figure out how quickly we could make a dollar. B2B, there's, there's conventions all over the country that are B2B, we're B2B, B2B business conventions showing people how to make more money, but nobody was talking to the patients. A lot of people weren't talking to the consumers. And we still have people out there right now who don't even know that there's something called an endocannabinoid system. And I would say that that's probably 90% of the people who are even consuming right now. You know, we were, we were making some very, very heavy strides, I think, in getting the public to understand the importance of plant-based medicine in our <clears throat> whole world. And now all of a sudden, I think we've kind of... Slowed it down a little bit. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: the red life i know this is going to become your new favorite podcast and i'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step by step every single week right and i I actually think that the endocannabinoid system fits in very well with the concept of being resilient to stress And when when people start to understand that we make these naturally occurring cannabinoids similar to the THC molecule, and we have these receptors that are activated by the plants and our own endogenous cannabinoids, then they understand that we're kind of wired to, um, to be able to control and maintain balance. And so when our body is not in balance, and there's no homeostasis, and our body's telling us something like we have pain, or we feel anxious, or we can't sleep we have to listen to our body. And I think even as a physician, you know, some people may think I sound crazy saying it, but the most important thing is really to listen to your body. You're the only one who knows what's wrong. And if something is wrong and you're the only, and and the problem is a lot of times there's conditions now that we can't explain and we don't have good treatments for. So people end up complaining to a physician and not getting a great treatment plan and they're frustrated and then they stop complaining. And it really leads to this wind up phenomenon, which we call central sensitization, which is basically one trauma or one inciting event that yeah. upregulates your whole nervous system. And then you're in this fight or flight state and something else happens. And it just kind of is this cascade where you're not able to really calm down. And the 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 problem is our alarm systems um you know what when are you going to start to have a panic attack versus just kind of live with the anxiety a lot of that has to do with our endocannabinoid system how we regulate our stress how we become more resilient to things so that the alarm doesn't go off as quickly and i think a lot of it is we're trying to train ourselves to work at a very very fast pace where really moderation is is okay because that's the way we retain that's the way we learn and so it's really like retraining the way we think about success and the way that we think about effort and kind of you know toning it down a little bit so that we can actually enjoy our life and be present and focus on what's really important to us instead of some of the competition
0: well hopefully hopefully i think over the next, you know, a couple of years, I think if we don't start to refocus on what's important, you know, I'm not, I'm not Debbie Downer or, you know, the, uh, the, the guy who's the doomsday sayer, but I think mankind is pushing itself to a place where he won't be able to come back from. He, she won't be able to come back from. I mean, we are literally, you know, I, I, when you look at the divide in, in us as a society, I think that has as much to do with this fast pace that you're talking about as it does to personal feelings. I mean, people are so anxious within themselves about, you know, not being successful or, or about, you know, not getting what they want for themselves individually, that they are really reaching out and, and trying their best to battle their fellow man. Um, I don't know. Yeah. And
1: I think, you know, yesterday I actually did a lecture at the Broward Sheriff's Office on on cannabis. And, you know, it was interesting because I had to throw in at the end that one of the side effects that that is written about cannabis is euphoria. Right. So that's a they say like a negative side effect is the potential to alter your consciousness. Right. Or 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 to um, to, for euphoria for the high. Right. And it's it's interesting because. People now, now I guess it goes back to what you're saying with science and spirituality and kind of the blending of the two and this whole, you know, renaissance going on with plant medicine. But I think that it's interesting because it makes me question, are you scared to kind of look under the hood? Are you scared to see what really lies in your subconscious or are these, you know, if you alter your level of consciousness, can it offer you something, a lesson that maybe? you know, you're, you're missing in life. That is, it's, it's right there, but you were unable to discover it without, let's say plant medicine.
0: Those same people yeah. you were talking to about altering, you know, you know, their perspective would probably left your lecturer and went down to the corner bar and piled down four or five shots of brown liquor, thinking that uh, that's okay. I, I think it's just a hypocrisy and, and ignorance um, and ignorance. I don't not, I mean, from ignorance of lack of knowledge, I mean, personally, uh, half the police officers, I think, in this country who are not supportive of cannabis are just caught up in their own personal ignorance of understanding that cannabis was part of our society before 1937.
1: Right. And many of them. Many of them actually want to use cannabis, but, the, but because of the drug, you know, the THC, urine testing, drug testing with many employers, they're not able to. So they end up obviously getting frustrated and then, you know, using alcohol. That's a common solution for them, which is which is so you know, sad that that is something that's completely legal. Meanwhile, in Florida, they're trying to cap the percentage of THC in a medical dispensary. You know, do you cap the amount of alcohol?
0: Well, I'm sorry, I was just, just to cut you off, that has, I think, has nothing to do with, you know, trying to protect the consumer. That has something to do with trying to injure the industry, knowing that if they cap the amount of THC, a person's going to have to spend probably two or three times as much as they or think they have to spend. And that's another thing I, I think, again, this industry has done a disservice to. And that has been the fact that, you know, just like in the 60s, we spent in this industry, a lot of times here in the United States and North America, not in Canada, but in North America, we spent as much time as we could trying to grow the CBD and other cannabinoids out of the plant. We were trying our best to see if we could push the THC number up like we have continued to do for the last decade, try our best to push a number up and not even know why we were pushing that number up. I mean, I, 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 I was having a conversation a couple of weeks ago. And I remember distinctly back in the early 70s. Consuming some cannabis that I know that probably if tested today spectrographically, probably getting come up higher than maybe 11% THC. But I remember the euphoria that I got from that was probably five times better than the euphoria I've gotten from some of this cannabis that's out there that's 20 to 30% THC. Hmm. I wonder why. And, and now, again, they're going to try to cap the THC. And they're not even looking at it from a perspective of what it does medically. They just think that this number needs to be capped.
1: Right, and the and the research really shows that the entourage effect, the whole plant, is really the most beneficial. And We all understand that all the cannabinoids, terpenes, synergistically will have the most medical benefit. And it's not really about the THC percentage, but again, they're basically taxing marijuana. They're basically making people spend more money to get what you know. And if someone has a medicine that they've been using for a long time, and now all of a sudden they change it, that you know that that's not that's not something that. The Department of Health would want in, in a pharmaceutical, why would they have that in, in cannabis? And a lot of the you know the research is very skewed about percentage of THC causing psychosis when a lot of it has to do with you know risk factors and, and genetics and people self-medicating. But what's gonna happen is they're gonna go back to the black market, and then you're really gonna see a lot of medical issues when people start using cannabis that is not third-party lab tested, and people keep forgetting about that. So it's it's really you know, and of course, we're the only state doing this, right? So how does that even make sense?
0: In the last couple of months, there have been some really very interesting peer-reviewed, you know, uh, uh, studies published worldwide talking about, you know, some of the flavonoids in, in the plant that seem to have a higher uh, anti-inflammatory capability than some of the pharmaceuticals that are in the marketplace today. Um, I saw an article, you know, a couple of weeks back that, that lent uh, or at least kind of propose that some of the you know anti-inflammatory capability of flavonoids could be and could be useful in our battle with covid
1: right and, and also the acidic cannabinoids is getting more attention the thCA and CBda in the raw plant form which is great because you know that's non-intoxicating and there's more research looking into um, specific acidic cannabinoids used for, for inflammation and for anxiety and, and not causing the high. So I think people are starting to take apart the plants and study it. I know, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of the terpenes and I'm doing a study right now on CBN uh, for sleep. And, you know, we, we talk a lot about beta-caryophyllene being a terpene that activates our cannabinoid receptors that's great for our immune system. So there, there's more and more coming out. And again, as long as it's a schedule one drug, it's going to be difficult for us to do the research we want to do and use the cannabis that actually patients are using because that's not the cannabis that they supply us from the government. And so that's a big you know, contradiction is that how are we supposed to move forward with this if we're not even using the medicine that the patients are, are using? So it's not really um, equal in terms of how we're comparing it, but there's many other countries that are moving forward and And I think that it's interesting because I think that, you know, we just we just wrote a bill about decriminalizing psilocybin mushrooms. And it's interesting to think that some of these psychedelic medications will be available and descheduled prior, you know, before cannabis is.
0: Yeah, it's really ridiculous. And when when we were just talking about, you know, the I guess was about now two months ago where the DEA is now allowing for broader testing of. Real cannabis, you don't have to just get it from the University of Mississippi. You can now get it from other supplies. Matter of fact, there's some cannabis coming in from outside of the country that's being used to test with. And so at least that's starting to expand. And I think that's where some of these revelations are coming in. And I i agree with you um, 100%. I have been, you know, um, for the last seven years, seven years ago, I started uh, formulating and looking at cannabis products and looking at it from ensuring that there was, you know, the sufficient terpenes that were there and present that literally elicit the response that we are looking for, along with a broader spectrum of just, uh, not just, you know, THC, but, you know, CBG, CBN, you know, you set it yourself, THCA, THCV, you know, there are so many different variants out there that, um, you know, I think that once science finally catches up, if we truly believe in science, then We'll know that we've been missing out on something that we should have been using for quite a long time. What, what do you think about the current administration? And, you know, the fact that you know, we have a president in office who is stuck on stupid in this idea of just decriminalizing. And he still personally believes that cannabis is a gateway drug. I mean, right,
1: right, and and I think you know we a lot of times we we say cannabis is an exit drug, right? We see Uh. the substitution effect. We see the amount of benzos, opioids. That's, I mean, that's really how I got into cannabis. I'm in South Florida, where we have the most amount of opioids written. Chronic pain is a huge issue. I'm a pain management physician. I I didn't have enough tools really to help my patients before cannabis. Now, you know, cannabis becomes much much higher on the list for me as to offer that before other. Pharmaceuticals, or even you know injections for some people, or 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 you know other other um, physical modalities as well. But but again, I think a lot of it has to do with education. And when when we don't have the ability to do research, right now we're trying to do a research study at University of Miami looking at the pharmacokinetics of CBD in something called a nano water-soluble emulsion. Uh, versus other routes of administration, and we're having such a difficult time with the FDA trying to approve us to do this study because CBD is not a pharmaceutical and it's not a dietary supplement and it's not FDA approved. So how are we going to get the other cannabinoids and terpenes tested if we we can't even get CBD approved? Right? It's 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 such a struggle. And again, when it comes to big pharma, I'm okay with them doing their research because they have the money. The problem is with cannabis, it's personalized. The the, the way that you take your medicine for the same exact symptom or condition, it may be very different than the way I take it based on so many factors that have to do with our endocannabinoid system. So unless they really start to understand that, that yes, it's evidence-based and double blind placebo controlled clinical trials, and we need that, but we're not really, we, we, we have to get a little bit away from the Western medicine, strict guidelines and kind of open up to, personalized, individualized medicine. And that also has to do with people taking ownership. And and I think, you know, not just lazily going to their physician and getting a script and, and just, you know, the, the reflex to just give someone a medication, but actually thinking about what else is going on in their life. And that's really how I got into what I'm doing is because pain to me is not just the physical tissue damage. It's, your emotional experience the trauma that you've been through the way that you cope your genetics there's so much that play a role into it so pain management really should be its own specialty its own residency there's there's you know a huge psychological component to it as as well so you know i think that as we're as we're moving forward it's it's we have hope you know obviously but it's more of us continuing to educate and learn more about obviously the endocannabinoid system but really to have the patients patients are going to their physicians saying I tried this this is working what do you think and the physicians have to become educated too because they're not they're still not teaching it in medical school you
0: know this industry has spent so much time on b2b and not as much time on b2c meaning try to educate the consumer, and we know that the consumer is what drives medication in this country. That's the reason why they spend so much money on these commercials that you see every single day, because they want the consumer to go into the doctor's office and say, did you see such and such? And the doctor says, uh, yeah, well, then I want you to prescribe that for me. Well, wh- whether the doctor's educated on the drug that's being promoted on television or not, he will prescribe that because the consumers has asked for it. Well, we start c- educating the consumer enough to make them understand that cannabis and the cannabinoids and all of the, you know, integrated parts of that are helpful. They will then force the doctor to educate themselves. I mean, I I think that's really the only way we can get this done. Um, And
1: and the interesting thing is even in big pharma, like there's, you know, there's studies that come out that show that less than 50% of, of antidepressants actually work, on patients right so we we know that that's evidence right there we're allowed to do those studies and these are the findings yet those are the tools that the physicians have that's what's covered you know by insurance obviously but now i think that you're right it's the consumer it's the patient saying to the doctor i'm frustrated this isn't working and the doctor saying these are all the only tools i have unless they want to learn a little bit more think outside the box and then you know it kind of opens them up to Um, to, to, you know, who knows, because that's basically what, what, what the future is. It's just that when you know enough to know that it's not working, then there has to be another option. And that's really, I see things work because I am using medical marijuana in a, in my, you know, thousands of patients with such good results that they're able to obviously not just decrease their medication, but have better quality of life, but really, that the ability to kind of access what's in our subconscious or, or, you know, just, just kind of to relax for a little bit, to take a, to take a moment to, to see, you know, where do you want to go? What maybe that goal that you had isn't truly the goal that, that you should have been you know fighting for. Maybe it was someone else's. And so I think people need to really be able to connect with who they are and be honest and trust themselves and, and, um, and and really not rely on Western medicine unless it's an acute issue.
0: Well, you know, that's a a good lead into a conversation about, you know, this area that is now starting to blossom um, here in the United States, all over the world. And that is the area of psychedelics. I mean, you know, these are things that have been being used on this planet since man has been man. I mean, I think if we, We think in terms of the facts, See, I kind of have this weird philosophy thinking that, you know, we've been down this road multiple times before. I think, you know, mankind has been here, you know, reached its pinnacle where it's decided to destroy itself and it's destroyed itself, waited a million years for an ice age and we come back and we do it again and we come back and we do it again. I mean, if you think about this planet having been here for close to 10 billion years, you know, if you drew a line across the uh, piece of paper, you know, our current you know, existence would represent just barely a dot on that line. And we could have had those dots on that line multiple times before and been completely wiped out, erased, have no knowledge of what was happening when we were here yet we did it again and we do it again and we keep staying stuck on stupid, I think. But, but the,
1: <laughs> the problem is why do we have to get to that point, right? Why <laughs> yeah. why do we have to get to the point where, we are so frustrated with what's working that we need a whole revolution you know that that's that's the problem and and again I, I think it's really that whole fight or flight state and and nobody can nobody can learn nobody can connect with themselves unless they're in that that parasympathetic mode and sometimes you need a little help and that's why we say plant medicine is a catalyst it's not a cure you have to do all the work you have to still figure out you know how to move your body and what to eat and and to learn how to breathe and to be mindful at that moment. And and all of those integration skills are important. It's not just take this plant and all of a sudden, you know, this is going to be a cure to your depression or addiction, but it's really the lifestyle changes that come along. And that's why we say that plant medicine, like I I practice uh, ketamine assisted psychotherapy, we say ketamine is like a lubricant. It kind of you know, it it kind of loosens you up a little bit. It it, it allows you to kind of um, look under under the hood, and that that there's a filter between like your consciousness and your subconsciousness, and so it, it, it blurs that a little bit. When you have these experiences where you're going on this journey, you're taking, let's say, ketamine, which is you know a, a um, dissociative analgesic. It's actually a, a pain medication um, and and an anesthetic, but when you're giving it at higher doses you can have dissociation you can actually feel like you're you know outside of your body but the journey is really for you to un- uncover you know something that you should be able to bring into your life and then make changes from there and that's what we call neuroplasticity which is the, the way that we think today and tomorrow is probably the same unless you have something new that introduces you to a new feeling it's hard to get out of the way you're feeling about yourself
0: And I guess the objective of all the psychedelics that are out there right now, right? I mean, because there are, you know, I was, I was really, I had a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago and was shocked at how many they truly are. I mean, uh, that are, (coughs) excuse me, being tested and looked at right now, there's psilocybin, there's
1: Well, right. So they have like the classic, the classic psychedelics, which work on a specific serotonin receptor called 5-HT2A. So you have LSD, you have psilocybin, but then you have what you call them pathogens, which is like MDMA. And MDMA is special because it actually also increases oxytocin, which is our love bonding trust hormone. Um, and, And so they're using MDMA, for example, for PTSD, right? So people are able to, um, release some of their traumas and not be able to have that same emotional experience associated with a trigger. And that's really what it is. As triggers come up, they sometimes you're able to to take away um, from that same trauma, a different emotion and then not have to relive it. And so so MDMA is, is special in that sense. Ketamine also is a, is a dissociative anesthetic. So they have the ability to dissociate. But again, people forget that it's dose dependent. So you can take a very low dose, and you know, <laughs> ketamine can act as an antidepressant. Um, but it, or you can have a larger dose and have a full, you know, psychedelic experience. But but it's all about the preparation, the set, and the setting. Things have to be done where the patient feels safe. They trust the environment that they're in, and the setting is, is extremely important, and and the dose as well. So you know, a lot of this is is new, and and there's. And MAPS is a big organization that John Hopkins, UCLA, Mount Sinai, there's tons of research going on right now. And it's exciting to think that perhaps we, we don't have to take a daily dose of our medication anymore. We can have great therapy in a few sessions of these medications and really help uh, improve mental health, especially after the pandemic.
0: We are actually seeing after people have been through you know, a guided journey with these pharmaceuticals, and I think it's one of the things we should stress very importantly here, especially for all our viewers and people who are listening. We're not recommending that you go out and buy some street version of ketamine or go get yourself some uh, you know, psilocybin or something else and sit in your living room and do this on your own. Um, uh, we're not suggesting that at all. There are centers being opened up all over the world right now where people can go and have a guided experience with a licensed therapist who understands how to Help you navigate these experiences that do make physiological changes in the brain. Do they not?
1: Yeah. So, so for example, uh, ketamine, for example, it, it works on our NMDA receptor. Now, this this receptor is is responsible for central sensitization, that whole wind up phenomenon. It's kind of like the loop that you're constantly in, right? And so, in order to to break that loop, there's a specific receptor that we can um, work on to actually reverse a lot of this. And then, you know, the, the concept of neuroplasticity or rewiring the brain, you know, increasing the neural circuitry is, is really important for it to be durable. And that's, that's what we're, we want. We want long lasting changes, but again, I don't, I don't give ketamine to anyone who is not working with a therapist. And I'm very big on that therapeutic alliance. It's myself, a therapist and the patient, and we're all on the same team. And we, we have to discuss um, integration skills during the time that they're doing the ketamine because they feel great. And then all of a sudden, if they didn't work on all their, their lifestyle changes, then they're just going to resort back to to who they were. And it's going to be this afterglow effect with no, follow through and so a lot of the medications work on our serotonin receptors um and and it's it's nice because it's really getting away from that concept that we have one molecule for one receptor to do one specific task but these medications activate multiple parts of our brain and so that's that's exciting to see what what people are going to study and for different conditions but again it has to be done in a safe environment under guidance of a physician I, I do some uh, low dose ketamine for patients where it's very sub psychedelic, and they they actually just close their eyes and have therapy. And so that's for someone who can't open up. You know, they're not they're not comfortable really sharing the exact you know the, the the whole truth. And so they'll take a low dose of a oral lozenge. They'll sit in the therapist's office and and be able to open up a little bit, and that helps make changes. And there's so much that that gets uncovered. You know, and it's the same thing with cannabis-assisted psychotherapy. People can use cannabis and go to their therapist and be become much more honest with who they are, and and perhaps connect with themselves in a different way.
0: Very interesting. It's, I find it very interesting that you know the medical community who fought has fought cannabis now for close to a hundred years. In the last ten years, now open up about something like this. And again, there's so many different versions of uh, psychedelics out there that.
1: um but it has to do with the research. So there's been billions of dollars spent and maps, a big organization. You know, when 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 Michael Pollan wrote that book, uh, you know, how to change your mind. And, and Rick Doblin has done so much to raise money. And you see these big universities starting psychedelic institutions. Right. We're trying to just still study cannabis, but they're able to, you know, study psilocybin. They use it for end of life. Think about end of life. Right. Who do, who who would choose you know, not to use um, a meaning-making molecule at the end of their life, right? Like, what, what before you before you pass away, you want to know that your life has purpose, your life has meaning, and you want to not be in pain, and you not you want to you know feel well, or you want to sleep well, or you know be less anxious. So a lot of these medications, if you prepare the patient, can be extremely beneficial, and so they're they're studying it with things like OCD, with uh, end of life anxiety. All different conditions, um, even traumatic brain injury. So it's it's really it's really interesting to see how um, there's so much focus on the science of the brain and how much we don't know. But what we do know is certain things are just not working right now.
0: And we and, know, and- something that we could you can use a couple of times rather than as a daily medication. This is an experience that you can do and let's say two or three times, and literally. Cure Break the cycle. Correct.
1: Right. And so like this, like a lot of this, the psilocybin study, for example, for uh, post-traumatic or the MDMA study for post-traumatic stress, they had three sessions, but they had 12 weeks of therapy and two therapists. And by one year, more than two thirds didn't even have the diagnosis of PTSD anymore. Same thing with depression and, and psilocybin. These are just a few sessions of a large dose, but the whole point is the preparation and the therapy because the, the skills that they're learning from therapists, and it's not just talk therapy, but, but the, the skills that they're learning is what's going to allow it to be durable and allow them not to relapse. And relapse rate is, a, is, a, is an issue when you're not having proper guidance.
0: Are you familiar with uh, something called RTM, Reconsolidation of Traumatic Memories Therapy? This is a program yes. that I've been involved with now for the last 10 years, but I literally in the last year and a half, I have, uh, last, the last two years, I've been really pushing extremely hard, and especially in Washington, D.C., because we now know this has now been proven as evidentiary medicine. It's been employed by the state of New York. It's been employed by the state of New Mexico. It's been employed by the state of California, um, all because we now recognize that it is one of the only. Treatment protocols on the planet that is 90% plus efficacious. In every study that they have done, nine out of 10 people completely remit all of their symptoms of PTSD after five hours. And this is without medication, but I will guarantee, I think that, you know, one of the things that's so, you know, important about this is the fact that if they were, and I'm, I'm talking to the, the person who's a founder and the guy who developed the technique himself, um, You know, we've had some discussions about utilizing cannabis and utilizing some other medications at the same time. I think this is something that I can get you some information about it if you want. But, you know, this would be probably one of the things that you could use to prep a person in getting ready for that psychedelic experience that could just end.
1: Right. You want to you want to sort of bring it to the front of their brain. You know, you want to you want to bring that's that's what the preparation is. It's really what is your intention and what are you trying to work on? And then and then you lo- allow your body to kind of bring up whatever it, it does or your mind to, to see whatever it does see. But the, the, the thing is, there are so many skills that are that can be taught and we're just so used to taking medication and, and that's what's covered by insurance. Now, if that type of therapy was covered by insurance, don't you think that would be a better option for healthcare, for the patient? And, and the problem is really... If you know that that's 90% effective, why isn't that being covered? Why isn't the therapist being covered to to teach you these skills? Well, I think
0: well, the problem has been in this industry, especially when it comes to PTSD, I'm so sorry to say it this way, but it's become a cottage industry for a lot of people and a lot of universities across this country who are getting funding for protocols that don't work. We know that for a fact. Some of the ones that are being employed by by um you know and what is it immersion therapy and those kind of things that are are like less than 35% efficacious they're getting the big funding you know this is PTSD has been funded to the tune of about 3 billion dollars in the last 10 years well you know there are a lot of people out there who are making money who know that they're not offering the best you know game in town but and that,
1: you know, that's another thing with psychedelics is this concept of ego dissolution, right? So imagine if you're able to really, to really just you know calm your ego down a little bit, and that's what that's what a lot of these these companies and um, and uh, and 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 you know that that's what that's really where we're able to see change. But the problem is they have these experiences, and then they go back into society, and they have to work with other people whose egos are up. And so it's, it's how do we have these experiences and then come back to, to society? And a lot of it has to do with our default mode, the way that we think about ourselves, the way that we talk to ourselves, that self-talk can be very you know dangerous. And so we have to change the way that change what we default to, change how we problem solve within ourselves and and then also be OK with bringing down your ego a little bit. You know, and, and, and I think I think that that's that's really what we're going to see changes. in in healthcare and mental illness is when we really work on, on changing our default mode and and actually just giving people hope, you know, it sounds, it sounds silly, but we have to empower patients or or people to be able to educate themselves and trust themselves and and, and listen to their body and and do it in a, in a way that is, is less harmful and has better coping mechanisms.
0: I think this is more of a generational thing in the fact that, you know, we doctors like you and next generation of doctors who are willing to even have a discussion about ego. I mean, you know, uh, and you know, unfortunately, I think the doctors that have been around and those that, that have been there before you, those who are the ones who think that they could they should be your mentor um, are the ones who have an ego so big that they can't understand. They don't know it all. I mean, I, I've often said, you know, and I don't mean it in any Derogatory way, uh, but I say, you know, doctors aren't God. I mean, if you were God, none of us would be sick. So, mm. therefore, you are not God. You have an education, and you've learned some things. You know, if you get your ego out of the way, then your knowledge will allow you to want more knowledge and want more knowledge and want more knowledge. And then, as you start to learn more, I think you're better suited to be able to take the things that you've had, you've been trained, and take those those the skills that you've now learned to better present them the people giving them better options. But I don't think the generation of doctors before you believe that. I think the generation before you thinks that they are walking gods.
1: Right, and- well, and I think a lot of it has to do with the evidence and how do we study our consciousness, right? There's so much, that is in our consciousness. And there's so much that we can access from non-ordinary states of consciousness, but it's so difficult to, to really look at that mystical experience. But when I have a patient and I'm watching them literally in that process of dissociation where, where they're at, you know, some patients actually feel like, you know, they, they, um, they're in another dimension. And that dimension to them looks like that space between, you know, earth and heaven or whatever you want to call it. And so they go sometimes they're underwater, sometimes they're in kind of like the space-like atmosphere. And and being in that space is for me, I look at them like you're so brave. Look at what you're doing. You're you're allowing this medicine to take you somewhere, uncover something, allow you to feel, which is extremely important to heal, I think. And and in that in that process, I think a lot of times they realize, well, I just lived through something unbelievable, or, you know, I almost thought maybe I had died, and, and I'm still here, and, and I lived through this biggest fear in my life, or I re-experienced the trauma, and when they come out, they they, they feel completely different. It's like a different person after they take these medications, but again, it's, it's how to keep this up, and how to be able to approach other people. You know, we're having such a fight with cannabis, and now with psychedelics, we want to try to, you know, make less mistakes, like, that we do with the cannabis industry.
0: If you had to put on a crystal ball, what do you think the next three years look like when it comes to cannabis?
1: Um, I, I think that it'll probably be descheduled within the next three years. I think that Big Pharma will get involved with some uh, specific medications and preparations of CBD and THC and capsules or tinctures for specific, very specific conditions. And um, and I hope honestly that we don't continue to grow cannabis in a way to make more and more, you know, THC the, 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 answer. I really do. I really do believe in the entourage effect. I really do want to see more studies going on with terpenes and the other cannabinoids. And I think that's the way that we minimize the use of THC, but I, I would like for people to have less fear about that side effect of altered levels of consciousness. I think it's extremely important to um, have connection within yourself and with others. And I think that cannabis is, is great. Sometimes it's used as a crutch. And then as we start to feel better, we're able to, to give that up a little bit, but it's something that should be done, you know, should be allowed to be done because it is, it is a plant.
0: Well, I'm, I'm afraid of that, that that idea of the pharmaceutical industry wanting to get involved in something that they literally spent the last 50 years fighting. I I see no good that can come from people who said that they didn't believe now all of a sudden lying and say they believe just because they think they can make a buck. That's what you're saying. It's like like Marinol, you know, when they created Marinol rather than using the real plant, they decided to let's see if we can synthesize this and they synthesized it incorrectly because they know that now looking back at it, part of the problem with Marinol is the fact that, you know, we tried to synthesize just one molecule And didn't recognize the entourage effect of the other will, depending on who you're listening to, you know, there could be, you know, somewhere close to 160 plus cannabinoids. And then when you've got the terpenes and you've got the flavonoids and you've got the fats and the lipids. So by the time we get done looking at this and the pharmaceutical industry looks good, some looking at this, I don't trust them to, I mean, this is just me, this is just me speaking, but I don't trust them to have the patient in mind. I trust them only to have their bottom line in mind. And that is to try to come up with something that they can still a niche out of and claim that it works. And then of course it doesn't work well. So then they end up going after it and saying, no, this is something we shouldn't have done to begin with.
1: for um, them trying because I think that they're going to fail. So huh. the, the, the reason they're going to fail is because it's individualized medicine. You can't, make a certain preparation for a certain condition that fits, you know, everybody. So I so I actually want them to try to kind of prove the entourage effect, or I want them to try to see, you know, how they could fit in this box to realize plant medicine shouldn't be tampered with, right? It is, it is the way it is for for a specific reason.
0: Right. Well you know it's very interesting. I'm going back in the lab, I I, you know, I for a period of time had my own brand in the marketplace. And then, uh, you know, I wasn't very satisfied with my contract manufacturer that I was using before. So we've kind of pulled our brand and now we're about to, you know, hopefully within the next, keep my fingers crossed, the next couple of weeks, finish this deal that I've been working on with, uh, you know, a, a really conscientious, uh, manufacturer and distributor, uh, on the East Coast. And I won't go into detail yet, but, you know, I'm back in, I go back in the lab myself, hopefully. Uh, within the next week or so and start looking again, like seven years ago, I was putting out a product that literally was a product in the THC space. That was a combination between THC CBD and a proprietary terpene formulation in each one of the preparations so that I had a product that was working for alert and a product that was working for relax. And I'm about to do the same thing again, because I I'm, I've been a very big believer Long before it was but back in 2001, I was seeking out CBD uh, uh, plants before anybody was even talking about plants that were heavily laden in CBD. Um, as a matter of fact, I remember going out to California um, in 2002 and seeing a grower who said, oh, I got all this, this this plant here that grew, that I've got all this extra keep, and it's just got too much CBD in it. If you want it, you can have it. And I mean, I literally had about a five year supply of, you know, CBD Keef because people didn't want to sell it back then. They didn't care about it back then. And I started recognizing and understanding the value of terpenes. One of the things that you had said earlier is the fact that, you know, we don't do a lot of research with terpenes, but we have done a lot of research with terpenes in the last 20 years when it comes to other plant-based terpenes. Whether it be myrcene, whether it be you know humiline. limonene. Limonene um, is lemons,
1: you know. Right. Like everybody knows, you smell a lemon; it's uplifting. That citrus right. feel. So you can't, you can't. Uh, that everybody knows that. So just because it comes from a cannabis plant, you also have essential oils. You have terpenes from from food, you know, from that, from other natural things. So just to just to do studies, though, was so difficult for them to allow us to do it because it's from cannabis. You know, it, that's. That's what we have to do is start looking at other botanicals. And that's actually what's happening with this plant medicine, you know, Renaissance.
0: It would, would you say that, let's say, I don't know, immersing from a mango is the same as morphine from a cannabis plant, which is the same as morphine from a hemp plant uh, is the molecule, the molecule, the molecule, or is the molecule slightly different in each one? Uh, I,
1: I believe it's slightly different. I, I, I think it's, it's, It's kind of like, yeah, I do believe it is a little bit different. It has the same effect, but I don't believe that there's anything that we can state um, that has evidence comparing two similar things. So it's getting that same molecule from two. um, It's, it looks structurally similar, but it may have a little bit of a different effect. But the thing is we don't really know, you know, like we, even, even in botanical medicine, looking at like essential oils and looking at terpenes and and then looking at um, other parts of, of, of the plants and th- there's just not enough information right now for us to, to know like there's been studies looking at terpenes for let's say anxiety but they're not comparing you know uh one terpene from cannabis versus terpene from an actual fruit let's say so i think there's not enough evidence but i think it has a similar effect and and i think that this is what has to happen because we don't even know the dose we don't know how to how to use this properly we just know it comes from the plants in a certain percentage but how do how do we extrapolate that and say now take it in a sublingual amount right so we don't or, we don't
0: yeah, like or, it. or, or add from like i mean I, I, I tell you i only was you know formulating based on anecdotal experiences that people would have once we finished the formulation but i mean one of the things that i had said about when i did my gel caps is that i recognized that hemp-based terpenes though they did seem to elicit the kind of a response that I was looking for. I noticed if I augmented those terpenes with some fruit-based and plant-based terpenes, same ones, red you know, some uh, pinene, uh, you know, um, I was mixing some of these together and adding that too. One, it seemed to speed up the reaction after you took a gel cap. So I don't know, is that making it more bioavailable? I don't know. But it seemed to give me that impression. So I kind of was formulating based on that. And that seems to be the only way to do it right now.
1: Right. And I, I think bioavailability is a is a big um is a big topic right now. And that's really what we're trying to study and, and look at the pharmacokinetics to figure out how we could minimize the dose, how we could minimize the amount of medicine someone's taking, but optimize how their body is using it in an efficient way. And, and like that's why I love the water soluble forms of the cannabinoids, because you bypass the liver, you bypass the first pass effect. It doesn't matter when you've eaten, if you've eaten, um, what you've eaten. So, you know, that, that there's a lot of technology that can help us. And that's, you know, that doesn't have to be a big pharma thing. You know, that, that there's a lot of scientists that are very interested in this. And that's kind of the, the excitement about the future is, you know, we know things aren't working. We know we have to make some changes. And now there's a lot of questions that we can research.
0: We're almost out of time. So I just want to ask one last question. And that is, you know, do you think more doctors are going to start to understand, you know, the integrative, you know, pain management techniques proposed to the traditional method methods that they've been using in the past. I mean, uh, though we've gone through this scare when it comes to, you know, opioids, opioids are still out there. I, I think that's, what's so funny about this though. Of course, yes where doctors are being conscientious about the amount that they are prescribing and they are looking at the duration a little bit better, they're still pumping them out there.
1: Right. So I the the way I would answer that is each doctor is a person, right? And that person has their own feel, their own way of of approaching certain things. And so even though I think people are, are frustrated with, the opioid epidemic and and the, the limited tools we have for pain management and yes they're going to look more at the whole person and the person suffering and their emotional experience attached to that i still think that some people are just the way they are they they want to put needles they want to write prescriptions and so even though they may think this approach is a good approach and they see patients and anecdotal evidence that it's helping a lot of people i think it depends the person for me I couldn't be happier that I'm living during this time as a physician because I knew that what I was doing just kind of went against my grain. You know, it just didn't work for me. I can't, I can't, I'm not a salesperson. I'm a physician. I have to give a treatment plan that I actually think is going to work. And when people tell someone go home, you know, because you have to take this medicine for the rest of their lives, how does that play into their mind? How does that play into their default mode? Right. We, we just, you just gave them this negative news that is going to, be within their their neural circuitry right so even just giving someone hope and having options you know that that's the way that i like to approach medicine but in in general i do think more physicians are going to be accepting of plant medicine because of their frustration and because of the the anecdotes but it doesn't mean that they're going to adopt it in their practice
0: i get to uh, clone you (laughs)
1: <laughs> I actually have an identical twin. <laughs> Do
0: you really? Wow! Is she doctor also?
1: No, she's a social worker in in Manhattan. She works with uh, with teams with special needs. Actually, so I'm, uh, I'm you know I'm always trying to get her involved also in this industry because I think that she's a population that could help as well. And that's that's you know another interesting topic we could discuss another time. But. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in South Florida and um, I have a few offices, Hollywood, Boca, and uh, Miami. And um, thank you for having me on.
0: No, absolutely. Thank you for being here. people wanted to
1: get a hold of you, where do they go? My website is drmichelleweiner.com.
0: Drmichelleweiner.com. And I hope that people will reach out to you, you know, just if they have questions, because um, I, I know they'll get the guidance that they need to have. Dr. Weiner, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blot 1 Montel today. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care of yourself. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Are you dealing with best-life burnout, constantly striving for more, and quite frankly, over it? Maybe you just want more joy, peace, and laughter in your life now.